This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Please excuse the nasty head cold and its effect on my voice here on this episode and, and our, our post-game podcast on Saturday night. Dealing with that right now, I know it's the, tis the season for a lot of folks in that regard. We're back on a Monday to break down Penn State's latest matchup, a 30 to nothing victory over the Maryland Terrapins. Sends them to 8-2 on the road at Rutgers, wrapping up the road schedule in Big Ten play this Saturday uh, in Piscataway, then back home for a matchup against Michigan State uh, to finish out the regular season. If you've seen our bowl predictions, which Daniel Gallon puts together at lines247.com, there's a lot to be excited about in terms of postseason possibilities. And right now, we'll dive into big picture and some takeaways from that matchup with Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan here on a Monday. As usual, we try to give Mark the first opportunity to, to, to share his thoughts because Daniel and I sit down out of the press box on Saturday night and we'll talk about some of the details of the 30 to nothing win, Mark. But big picture, what was your strongest takeaway as you sat down and kind of digested this one Saturday night? Yeah, I think a couple things. Number one, uh, the fact that the pass rush was able to get home again for the second straight game. Uh, you're looking at 13 sacks in two games after Penn State had 17, I think it was, in the first eight games. Uh, that, to me, w- was just really, really key. And I think it set the tone for that game early. Uh, you know, Once they were able to get through and, and, and get those TFLs and sacks early in the game, you never really got the sense that, that Maryland – uh, was going to have anything for them. And then, listen, I know a, a lot of people aren't talking about Sean Clifford, and that's a good thing because I don't think he played particularly well, but he didn't make the killer mistakes. Once again, he relied on the weapons around him, and they took care of business. This time it was Nick Singleton. Brenton Strange did some good things. Uh, the, the offensive line played extremely well again, even though it's banged up. So th- those were my key takeaways. And then, obviously, I think the resiliency of this team – uh, it's something, and I, 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 I keep saying this, but I mentioned it in my preseason prediction that it was going to be key that somewhere along this, the way this team was going to have to show that it had bounce-back ability. And clearly this team does. I mean, obviously, the, you know, you could look at one game and say, well, maybe, you know, they just put it together against Indiana. But to come out and dominate the way they did against Maryland just spoke volumes and the, the play to me that really jumped out in that game, you know, Penn State fourth and one from the 27-yard line, handed off to Nick Singleton, and Maryland wanted no part of him. I mean, one guy tried to strip him 16 times. One guy couldn't catch up, and the rest of the defense just quit. At the end of that play, Sean Clifford was actually closer, who handed it off and ran a fake bootleg. And he just hustled down the field just in case because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, to me, when you do that to a team, 
that that's pretty impressive stuff. And and so Penn State clearly has bounced fully back from those tough two tough losses in three weeks. And I think you know everything's there for them in terms of potentially getting to to the uh, to the new year, a New Year Six uh, bowl game. And and I think it's it's pretty clear they're going to get to that ten win plateau. Well, a major topic of conversation for us as the podcast progressed and post game Saturday, Daniel was that we're now kind of bridging this gap between current success and 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 enjoying current success if you're a Penn State fan and also keeping your eye toward the future and seeing that future start to evolve in front of your eyes and letting your imagination really run wild about the capabilities of this program in 2023. A little bit of digging into this, Penn State started five players who were not with the program in 2021 against Maryland. Uh, Another guy, Chop Robinson, didn't start, but he had two sacks. Only two of those six players that, that I just referenced were actually taking practice reps with Penn State before August. And all of them, except Mitchell Tinsley at wide receiver, can come back next year. And I think that's one thing we talked about coming into the season, how much of this roster wasn't a part of the mix in practice terms until that first week of August. They were really light in a lot of areas, despite a big freshman early enrollment. And Daniel, that's what it's all about for me these next couple weeks, because the the matchups, what's happened at Michigan State and and their spiral downward here during the 2022 season, and then what Rutgers brings to the table on an annual basis, not going to excite people. What excites people is those are your stepping stones to 10 wins. And along the way, we get eight quarters to watch these guys continue their progress. Definitely. I I think also what you laid out uh, in terms of the the new pieces that have come in and been able to take on these big roles is that, excuse me, I think this is going to go down as a really good coaching job uh, by the staff in terms of, we've already talked about what the offensive line has done and and Phil Troutwine with all the different moving pieces there. Um, But then you look at some of the other guys that you referenced with with Chop Robinson coming in um, and getting to play significant snaps, getting rotated in. Um, I think up and down the roster, there's just been really good examples of these new pieces coming in, guys that you know didn't have a lot of practice reps to be able to be hitting their stride at this point in the season, I think reflects really well. And I think as you talk about the offseason and transfer portal and things like that, and even recruiting uh, high schoolers, I think it can help make Penn State uh, an, an appealing place to land. But given where we are in the year, uh, the fact that coming into this year, I mean, I think I was the lowest on Penn State uh, in terms of win total, um, and, and I'll wear that one at at eight and four. Uh, you know, they've exceeded my expectations. Um, they, you know, so far have, there's still two games left. Uh, they've avoided that snowball. They've avoided laying an egg um, in a space in a place where you don't really expect them to, or or they really shouldn't. Um, to be frank. So I think that they're in a good spot moving forward. I think that you get to the end of the year with 10 wins, you're able to take that step back. You're able to zoom back out and look at where we were a year ago or where, where we were two years ago in November, what that felt like, what that looked like, and to see where we are in 2022 and what that might look like moving forward. I think that that's something that might not feel good right away when you think about that Michigan game, when you think about that Ohio State fourth quarter and kind of the the what ifs with some of the sliding doors. But I think that Penn State is on a trajectory to kind of reestablish itself, um, you know, in the Big Ten landscape, in the national landscape. And then going into the offseason, there should be some momentum. There should be something good for James Franklin and company to to sell and put out there. Mark, Daniel just mentioned good coaching jobs, and I think it was fair to wonder come mid-November 2022 what our conversations on this podcast would be like regarding Phil Troutwine. 
uh, could go one way or another. Now you're thinking, make sure this guy's a part of your staff next year and beyond. That's where it is because of the work they've done. We talked about this on the postgame podcast, but two games where you're in scramble mode over the course of day-to-day, you're wondering who's available for you come Saturday. You've got to piece some things together, those moving parts. One sack allowed combined against Indiana and Maryland, 428 rushing yards in those two games combined as well. Just curious to, to think to, to hear your thoughts on, on what has been proven through mid-November and really moving forward, because James Franklin won't talk about it, but how does James, James Franklin internalize what he has seen from his offensive line growth because he has been pounding that drum ever since I started covering this team in 2017. Yeah, you just ruined my joke. I was going to say I'm not going to discuss it until after yeah. the season, and maybe <laughs> I'll uh, – but but obviously I guess that was too clear. No, I mean, listen, you looked at, at the struggles of their offensive line through James Franklin's career, and you started to wonder what was kind of going on because it was multiple coaches. And I think the fact that they showed some patience with Phil Troutwine uh, you know, he obviously arrived at a very challenging time. And rather than just, you know, summarily making a big change again at, at that position, you know, stick with a guy who who showed some things at Boston College, who who appears to have well, well, he doesn't appear to have. He has he had good college experience and he actually played in the NFL. Uh, and, and they stuck with him. And I think it's actually paying off. I also think it, you have to to look at their recruiting. I mean uh, listen, I, I know there's been a lot of talk about the guys who haven't panned out. And I know there's been a lot of talk about the guys who are injured, you know, the Nick Dawkins, uh, you know, those types of, of kids. But to be able to get a Drew Shelton uh, and coach him up, you know, part of it is that Drew Shelton obviously is a very good player. But part of it is is coaching him up so he's ready to go when they, when they needed him the most. I mean, that has been amazing. And then to bring a guy like Hunter Norzad in, and he fits right in, and you could use him at different spots. Uh, I just, bringing JB Nelson in from the JUCO ranks and getting him prepared to play. I mean, I think all of those things speak to to, to very good coaching uh, on that offensive line. I mean, I can't remember when they've had this kind of depth. It's been a long time. They haven't had it with Franklin. I mean, that's for sure. And that wasn't all his fault. <clears throat> Excuse me. I mean, when he first arrived here, arrived here. You know, due to the sanctions and due to the way that Bill O'Brien recruited, he kind of treated the roster like an NFL team, which you can't do. That's what we're learning here, right? That you have to recruit uh, multiple offensive linemen every single year because it's the most difficult position to gauge how somebody's going to, 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 to project from a high school lineman to a college lineman. Somebody could just be big and dominating people in college. And then you have a guy like Olu, who was big and probably dominating people, but people he wasn't necessarily a five-star. I think it was a three-star. And now he's looked at as a, as a first-round draft pick. So I think you look at all those things, recruiting, coaching, and it's kind of all come together at the perfect time. Having said all that, they really have to be knocking on wood right now and, and hoping that nobody else gets banged up because they are really, really close to, to, to having to play some kids who I don't think are ready, kids who work really hard, some of these walk-ons, but I'm not sure that they're ready. So, uh, you know, hopefully a guy like Caden Wallace, he wasn't able to play uh, the last couple games. Hopefully he rounds back into form later in the year. Not sure what's going to happen with Olu. It would be nice if we get a chance to see him because I don't think we're going to see him after this year uh, at this level. But I think it's just been been an outstanding coaching job overall by Phil Troutwine and that entire group. I'm not so sold on Olu 
working his way out of campus just yet. Uh, I want to see how these next few weeks sorted out. I think yeah. some some genuinely sincere conversations are having are being had. And again, I think the fact that he is of that age, uh, I, there's a lot of, of good. I should say there's a lot of good intel coming his way. It seems like the voices that are are, are important to him are the voice are voices that are looking out for him. And unfortunately, that's not always the case when you're talking about a guy who's in year three of his college career reaching this juncture. The support system is in a really good spot here. So I think it's going to be a thorough discussion. I don't think it's going any, any way which uh, the other or, or of yet, but whether he's there at Rutgers, whether he's there against Michigan State is a big question mark. And Caden Wallace was getting some reps at left tackle in pregame work last Saturday in Beaver Stadium. He did not play again, but something to note there. Uh, speaking of tackle depth, and, and it's not going to affect them this season, but it's something that uh, kind of follows a pattern of sorts is Malik McNeil no longer with the program. And, and the pattern there is that offensive linemen, the numbers have not really been adding up in terms of getting production or really getting an opportunity to develop some of these guys of late. You lost Nate Bruce from your class last year. He was a four-star prospect. Uh, he, he walked away from the program uh, well before preseason camp. And then you had Malik McNeil, who, unlike Vega Ioane and unlike Drew Shelton, who have come in and really since, they, since the summer, we have heard they're going to make an impact this year. They could play if they need to. They might be in a position to burn their red shirt. It's always been, let's see what Malik McNeil looks like coming out of the 2023 season and where he's at in, in his progression there. We won't get to see that happen at Penn State. Still working on the why aspect of it, but no longer on the roster as of this Monday. Had not entered any games. He was listed on the travel roster for the Indiana matchup. It would have been his first game, I believe, attending on the road with, with this team. Instead, they took a couple freshmen walk-on Ian Harvey, Jim Fitzgerald, they both played against Indiana. And now a couple weeks later, no longer part of that equation. And, and when I talked about the pattern there, I don't want to make it seem like players leaving the program is the pattern. It's just that you didn't have Nate Bruce. Now you don't have uh, now you don't have Malik McNeil. So you're down to two scholarship freshmen in, in your class now. That's only three guys now who have come in and stuck with you through their freshman year in the last couple of cycles. And, and you mentioned a guy like Nick Dawkins, and you can throw Golden and Chumba in that conversation, and Ibrahim Traore. You hope that they can get on the right path here, but they're three years in and Olu Fashion, who's the only guy from that 2020 class who's made a dent on the football field. So it's great that you got Hunter Norzad, J.B. Nelson, the supplemental pieces. We're only about, what, eight, nine weeks away from seeing Alex Birchmeyer, uh, Anthony Donka, Javen Williams show up to the party and start to make their mark. But it feels like tackle in particular going to be a transfer portal situation to at least monitor, particularly if Olu Fashionu decides that he is ready to move on. Uh, but, but there's a lot of information there I just put out at tackle, but it's important because you see what it looks like when you have good tackle play and Penn State hasn't had it consistently year to year. And that makes a big difference in what you can accomplish as a unit. I, I think that goes back to what Mark was saying about when, when Bill O'Brien was here and, and needing to recruit so many uh, offensive linemen to you know have a lot more bites at the apple instead of focusing in on on smaller numbers because you look at these past couple of years you know you brought in three scholarship freshmen now you're down to two uh, for the class of 2022 uh, you brought in two last year and you had one after Nate Bruce left leaving Landon Tangwall and you look at that class of 2020 I mean I think that that's kind of the example of why you take so many different swings um, because you need to have as many opportunities to find an Olu Fashionu, um, even to have someone like, you know, Jimmy Crist be able to be a depth piece, um, because you don't know what's going to happen with injuries. You don't know what's going to happen in terms of development. Um, you don't know what's going to happen when guys get to campus. So I think that 
that kind of, you know, th- those types of numbers, bringing them in. I know that there's roster management and, and scholarship allotment that also goes into that with kind of, you know, where your roster is at, um, you know, other positions where you have, you know, more depth, less depth. Um, but I think that offensive line more than probably any position on the roster, I think is the one where you just need to keep bringing guys in because it could be the three star like Olu who hits the the guy who when we were talking to Kazaya Izzard uh, a couple weeks ago who played in the same conference as him uh, in, in Washington, D.C., was just kind of like, yeah, I, I don't really remember playing against him. He wasn't someone who really stood out to you. Um, so I think that the more you guys you bring in, um, I think Phil Troutwine has kind of established the reputation now that he can develop these guys. I think that he's earned that um you know, earn that respect. I think given how Drew Shelton has done what we've the, the, the what we've seen from Olu, that sort of thing. So I think you want to keep bringing in these big guys, bringing these offensive linemen, um, you know, tackle like Tyler said, I think is where you want to look in the transfer portal. But I think that as you move forward, just keep bringing in those offensive linemen, every class load up in the trenches because that's where it all starts. Um, you know, you, you can't win without a good offensive line, no matter what you have elsewhere on the field. And you, Hey, Tyler, you know, one yeah. thing that one thing that I don't think we've addressed and it's just kind of dawning on me now. But, you know, when you talk about the transfer portal, you know, all of a sudden you're, you're if you're a transfer offensive lineman, a guy who's played a lot of football. I mean, what better opportunity would you be looking for than to come to a program or go to a program? that has Katron Allen and Nick Singleton and, and Drew Aller. And all of a sudden, you know, offensive linemen who look like they're really being coached up to play at that next level. So it's going to be really interesting. You know, they were able to get to, uh, you know, Eric Wilson. I, I don't know that he was a legit starter starting big 10 quality. I think they really had to use him and give him credit because he worked really hard and, d- and did a nice job doing what he can do. But Hunter Norzat, to me, is a legitimate Big Ten lineman, Big Ten quality lineman. You know, you're able to get him even after you struggled the last couple of years. Imagine what may, what they may be able to do uh, with the talent that they have and having seen this offensive line play so well, even with all the injuries. And I, and I will say, when you talk about the offensive line, a couple of things to note here is maybe there's some guys on this roster playing on the interior who we could see move out to the perimeter come next spring ball, come next August. Landon Tangwall is one of those we've certainly discussed in the past. Got to see where he is from a medical standpoint going into next spring, see if that's on the table again. We've seen him play tackle here at Penn State before. And then the other is J.B. Nelson, who, who played tackle at a high level for Lackawanna College uh, a year ago, and, and it was actually the top-rated tackle in our junior college rankings at 24-7 sports and has gotten some reps on the perimeter on the practice field. So things to keep in mind, because if you're talking about bringing guys in, we got to remind you, there is not a single player on this current offensive line on scholarship who's out of eligibility when the season ends. So there's a lot of things to sort through. We spent, I think, solid 10 minutes almost on this offensive line, but they deserve it. Uh, Certainly some things as they try to continue development and some of the conversations we've just had is about what happens after this year, but the sustained development, the sustained positive progress very apparent. It is not against the meat of their uh, schedule here, but they're doing it with a mix of guys who haven't played much football. And that's an odd and easy thing to do uh, when you're getting ready for a matchup and you got three padded practices to do that. Across from the uh, across the trenches, though, Mark, you alluded to this in your initial statement about this matchup, but they are piling up those TFLs and sacks at this point. Uh, the last couple of games combined, it's 25 total tackles for loss. 
13 sacks, uh, been a huge, uh, huge explosion after we saw the defensive line get two total sacks for itself in the month of October. This is big for, for John Scott because he's got a lot of these guys. And you look around who's doing it, Adiza Isaac, someone who's coming off a seri very serious injury, now looking to part more and flashing off that edge. Chop Robinson, only a sophomore, year number one as a defensive end. Uh, and, and Zane Durant starting to make some moves as a defensive tackle. You just look at the pieces, and again, what gets you excited is these are players who you're going to benefit from this progress, not just in November of 2022, but you believe as you try to reload in 2023. Yeah, and it's crazy because the production just wasn't there for so much of this season, and now all of a sudden things are clicking. I, I think one of the real keys, obviously, is the last couple of opponents that forced them to be in second and long and third and long situations. And once once an opponent against Penn State gets into third and long, you can forget about it because you're bringing chop. I mean, you're bringing Adisa Isaac, and then they're able to throw, throw guys like Zane Durant and Hakeem Beeman, who are both really quick inside. And, you know, where do you go? And then you start blitzing, uh, you know, Jair Brown or Abdul Carter, who is just ridiculously fast. I mean, the athleticism here is just really, you know, really stood out. And, and I think that's a positive after the way that unit played against Michigan, especially, I thought it played better against Ohio State, even though it didn't rack up a ton of sacks. But against Michigan, you know, they came out of that game with James Franklin saying they have to get much bigger. Well, yeah, I would agree that they probably do have to get a little bit bigger, but their speed is really showing these last couple games. And, and I think it's been really important. And in that game, I mean, you, you were talking about a quarterback who uh, I don't think he was as mobile as he usually would be. I think that MCL was bothering him. Uh, but still, I mean, he's a quality quarterback to be able to get that home that often. And, you know, I know there's talk about injuries, but there's injuries on both sides. It's something you really have to deal with at this point. So absolutely, it was a, a big bonus for those DNs to, to get home. But I also think don't overlook the job the D tackles are doing. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All of a sudden, you got six guys on this team with at least three sacks. You don't have anybody with more than four sacks. That's Shop Robinson. But those numbers starting to uh, uh, blow up a little bit here. Abdul Carter at three and a half sacks on the season. Adiza Isaac up to three, uh, matching Denai Dennis Sutton, who's been at that mark for a while. Uh, and then, Daniel, I think it's just been so, so difficult to ignore what Abdul Carter has done. Um, Nick Singleton did a very did a couple of very special things on the field Saturday night. I still think there's a case coming away from that matchup where you could point to number 11 being the most impressive freshman from start to finish. And that says a lot because Nick Singleton was the big 10 freshman of the week. 
Definitely. Uh, one more note I would make on on the sack front in, in terms of the, the number of guys who have multiple sacks, the number of guys who have three sacks. Last year, that production was really tilted towards Arnold Abiketti. I think he probably had about a third um, of Penn State's sacks, sack production last year. It was just, you know, him uh, was the only he was the only one consistently getting after it. Um, there's a number in the game notes uh, that went out today where 14 Penn State players have at least one sack. Um, which is tied for the most in, I believe, FBS or Power 5, um, So among Power 5 teams. So I think that that's something to, to note, too, that you know, we were talking about it a little earlier, where at, you know, early in the season when Johnny Dixon is leading the team in sacks, that's a little alarming uh, when you talk about the, the pass rush. But now when you're looking at Johnny Dixon having you know, a couple sacks, now you can say, okay, the sacks are coming from everywhere. You know, it's not just. Well, I just looked it up. One or two I just guys. looked that up, Daniel. I, I looked up mm-hmm. your stats because I. What did I say? It was five guys now with three plus sacks on the season for Penn State. Last year they had Arnold Abicadi with nine and a half, and then two guys had three: Curtis Jacobs and, and Smith Vilbert. By the way, Smith Vilbert had none <laughs> in the regular season. So, yeah, I mean, when they finished the regular season last year, they had two guys uh, that that were at three sacks, and it was Curtis Jacobs literally at three. And then Arnold Abicadi with the first team all Big Ten kind of performance. So great point there. Yeah. And I think, too, a big thing is that I felt like last year they were able, they were around the quarterback uh, a decent amount. I thought Jesse Lucetta um, looked good coming off the edge. And it seemed like kind of like how we talked about Chop Robinson earlier this year, where you know, he's around the ball, you know, he's affecting the quarterback, even if it goes down as a quarterback hurry. But sacks are different, sacks are big. It's kind of like, you know, turning those hurries into sacks, turning PBUs into INTs, it makes a huge difference, even if, you know, some coach speak might say, well, you know, we're still affecting the play, we're still affecting the quarterback. There's a big difference, you know, both tangibly in terms of yardage uh, and also psychologically in, in getting those quarterbacks onto the ground. And I think that's been good for the Penn State defense this year. But going back to Abdul Carter, I mean, in thinking about, okay, who's going to be Big Ten player of the week or freshman of the week and and game planning that out this morning. I mean, Nick Singleton had a great case because he did it in really highlight real fashion. But in thinking back to the game, watching different different sequences, I just thought that Abdul Carter was just kind of everywhere from the jump. Um, he had the one play where he was chasing down Tonga Vailoa uh, over to the sideline where he just closed the ground so fast. Um, it looked like Tonga Vailoa might have the chance to to make something happen. You know, you know, maybe get back to the line of scrimmage, maybe get a few yards, maybe even find someone downfield if someone has, has kind of squirreled open um, it, during the scramble drill. But Abdul Carter just, just closed that gap so fast. Um, you know, Chop Robinson said that the twitchiness reminds him of Micah. Um, it's a comparison that we've been hearing a lot for a while now. But as the season goes on, you kind of are, you start to embrace it a little more and more because you never want to get too far ahead of yourself with a freshman. Um, but through, you know, 10 games, but really even nine <laughs> because he had that early ejection at Purdue. Um, I think Abdul Carter is definitely living up to the hype. And you know, depending on what happens with Curtis Jacobs uh, the, these next couple of weeks uh, and his status, um, I think Abdul Carter has the position to really put up some big numbers and really close uh, this 2022 season really strong and really be on the radar when it comes to freshman All-American, that sort of thing, you know, have his name uh, in the, uh, you know, the awards committee's mouths, like have him on their mind. 
which going into next year sets him up to be a really known entity and, and a really prominent player. He trails only Chop Robinson and Sacks on this team. He trails only Jair Brown and tackles on this team. And and just to you know further accelerate that that hype train a little bit here, Mark, I mentioned uh, a little Micah there on, on that play that Daniel's talking about with the, with the, when he punched out the ball. And you went a little bit further back with the number eleven that you brought up in the press box on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I went with Lavar. I mean, and, and listen, it's again, nobody's saying he's Micah or, or Lavar yet. But we're seeing similar things. The closing speed is ridiculous. I mean, that, that Daniel talked about. I mean, that's just – that is what sets the great linebackers apart, uh, that, that they are able to, to do things that it almost doesn't look like it's happening in real motion. It looks like, it looks like they're, they're in fast motion. And, and that is the stuff that LeVar did. And when we first saw Micah, you know, I think one of them was one of the games at Rutgers where it was like, my God, look at this guy. I mean, that's th- these these guys. It's I, I, I'm fairly certain James Franklin said that Abdul Carter is one of the fastest players on the team, including all players. And I believe that. I mean, I believe that. I never would have thought that true could be true until I saw Micah Parsons and Jason O.A. run what they ran. But these big guys now, some of them, they're, they, I, I don't know what it is. They could just run that way. And uh, he's a big kid. That's the thing. It's not as if he's a, a 210, 220-pounder. Uh, I mean, it's his ceiling's really high. And I'm, I'm not getting off the hype train. What, what, why can't we have <laughs> some fun hyping this kid? It's been really fun to watch him. And, well, and- listen, the, the, also the fact that he produced in a game where your most experienced linebacker and your most versatile linebacker in Curtis Jacobs, uh, you know, was wasn't able to play. I don't think you could say Curtis Jacobs is their best linebacker anymore, though. I don't think there's any question who the best linebacker on this team, and his name's Abdul Carter. And that's not a knock on Curtis Jacobs. It's that Abdul Carter is that good. And and that's interesting because I think back to some things I was hearing in August when Abdul Carter was really starting to show early signs of what he's become. And there were some people that said, just wait until – that Ohio State game in that kind of a range, get this team in, into November. And he's, and the, the, basically the sentiment was he may be viewed as the best linebacker on the team. And, and when you see for the first few games, it's hard to believe because he's clearly a backup guy. But now I said it on the postgame podcast, it feels like he's one of the 10 most valuable players on this entire roster right now. And I think what's so fun about this 8-2 and two versus a lot of different 8-2s and twos that you could have in college football that this Penn State team could have. I know that there's the sense of so much familiarity with this 8-2 and two because you've got the head coach who's been here for almost a decade. You've got the quarterback who's been here for almost a decade. But you've got these different faces. It feels like every game we're kind of debating which freshman performance was better. Was it the running backs? Was it the linebacker? Left tackle Drew Shelton stepping up and doing a phenomenal job for the last couple of games in Big Ten play in a big moment. And and this all falls under the category of these are guys who are, you know, it's it's always hard to guarantee anything in the NIL college football reality. But we're talking about guys that aren't just around for 2023. We're talking about guys that are around for 2024. And they're not just laying the foundation. They're taking the flag as members of this locker room. And that's why, to me, this November was going to be so important and thus far if you should be incredibly encouraged if you're a Penn State fan, no matter how no, no matter how hardly you want to cling to those losses to Ohio State and Michigan that were suffered in October, I think if you're looking forward right now as a Penn State fan, there's a lot to gravitate towards in a positive direction. 
I think when you looked at this freshman class on paper, it, it really checked the boxes of that that foundation where you have the quarterback, you have the running backs, uh, you have the, the offensive linemen. Uh, defensively, you have the edge rusher, you have the linebacker. Obviously, we have to wait and see at uh, the positions where Penn State was already deep uh, this year. You know, those defensive backs um, and, and the wide receivers, I think, are, are kind of the that's going to be the next group up that we really pay attention to this off season uh, in terms of, you know, comings and goings and, and which guys are able to take the steps to break into the rotation. But I think that you kind of, in your imagination, you kind of think, okay, these guys can be pretty good in 2023. You know that there's a couple guys who are going to make impacts in, in 2022. Uh, but it's one thing to kind of see that on, you know, what was it like December 15th, 2021, uh, somewhere in there when it's signing day and, you know, signing day is everyone's excited. No one's disappointed. Um, it's, you know, one of the, I think one of the most optimistic days of the year uh, around the college football program. And so you, it's just totally wait and see, you know, hearing everything in the spring over the summer, that's still wait and see because it's, you want to see it against Ohio state. You want to see it in big 10 play, even if it's Maryland or Indiana. Uh, and the fact that we've seen that, I think that when you project things out, Obviously, there's no guarantees, the tran- and not just because of the transfer portal, just because of how football works. Um, but I think that thinking about 2023, thinking about 2024, uh, you know, the, the forecast, the ceiling, I think it, it moves up a little bit. Um, I think it's a little bit higher than it, it would have been six months ago uh, from, from where we're sitting. So I think that this freshman class has really been able to come in and make an impact. And I think a guy like Abdul Carter is a really, really big part of that Um, because he wasn't the, you know, he wasn't the sure thing five-star like someone like Nick Singleton was where it's okay. He's coming in and he's going to make it happen. I mean, with an, with an Abdul Carter, we were, you know, I think all of us, no matter what we heard, we're like, okay, we want to see it. We want him to prove it. And he's definitely proven it. And I think that's just been really exciting to see um, and kind of the, and kind of to see it, like we've actually seen the progression. We've actually seen um, him advance, him develop. Um, I think that it, it really bodes well for the trajectory of, of him as a player, the defense as a whole, and, and you know, in the, the biggest picture of the program. And, of course, really big picture. You've got the number one overall quarterback prospect by 24-7 sports waiting in the wings to take the keys in just a matter of games. And that is the the big elephant in the room when it comes to Drew Aller, who we didn't really just discuss in that conversation. I think the one area, if you're looking for more from and you think if this clicks, it could really go a long way for this class and for the program is that wide receiver room. Uh, you know, we've seen some Amari Evans. It hasn't been consistent to this point, but we've seen him. Caden Saunders, Tyler Johnson, Anthony Ivey. Uh, there's a lot of guys in there that you say, can they end up being a playmaker on the field next year? And can they do it every game in, game out? That's the area I think for this freshman class we still have some questions about. Uh, but I think that they have the talent in that room to sort through and, and, and someone's going to emerge, if not a couple guys. Mark, going to the older one of the oldest members of this uh, of this team, really, Jake Pinniger, named Special Teams Player of the Week by the Big Ten. Uh, guy's been dealing. He's six of seven from 40-plus on the season, and he was arguably the biggest question mark really in early September about what could stand in this team's way. We haven't seen him trot out there for a game-winning, game-tying field goal as time expires, but he's done all he can to win back the confidence of Penn State fans and his coaching staff. Yeah, and it's been good to see. I mean, the thing that I really liked about him 
is that, it, that he I think a lot of us almost assumed that he was going to take off last year uh, when, when he wasn't named the starter. And I don't think anybody would have blamed him uh, for, for doing that. But no, he stuck with it. And, you know, he's been uh, from, from all, everything we could tell through camp and, you know, through, through the early part of the season. When we were maybe wondering, do they go to Sander? I mean, do, do they give him an opportunity because he clearly has a, a huge leg? You know, the, the dynamic there just seemed really good. I mean, he seemed like he was a leader in that room and, and just doing all the right things. So it's pretty cool to see it work out for somebody who's been a real team guy like that. I mean, it's amazing to think he never had a 50-yard field goal at this level until that Indiana game. And I think even when he was trot out there, a lot of us were like, what are they doing? I mean, why do they, why, why are they going to do this? Because, you know, it was so windy. And, and I, I don't think even, a, a, you know, the greatest NFL kickers, I think it would have been a challenge. And you know what? He went out there and, and, and drilled it. And then he comes back and gets another shot against Maryland and does it again. It was funny because I was walking by his cubicle, uh, his interview cubicle after the, after the game. And I didn't get a chance to get over there. I don't know if either of you guys did, but, I heard him. I just overheard him saying something along the lines of, "Yeah, people have been uh, questioning my leg strength. I don't know where that ever came from, Jake. It came from your your numbers. You had never hit a fifty yard field goal, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, Tyler. I know you're good with these things, but he was his yeah. numbers from forty and beyond were terrible. So I got, I got it. it. Ten from. of nineteen. Ten of nineteen. Because I felt yeah. like I was repeating it a lot back in September. I will say this: it didn't help him that he was kicking in practice alongside Jordan Stout for years, right. and then kicking alongside Sanders Sahedak, who we have no idea how good of a place kicker he is at the college level. But we know he has one hell of a of a boot in Sanders Sahedak. Yeah, but uh, the, the, uh, my point being is that there were legitimate questions. But you know what? Mm -hmm. If 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 he didn't look at it that way, great, because it allowed him to maintain his confidence. And again, I just think. Listen, we're we're, uh, we're we're reporters, we're objective, but there are people you can root for. And somebody who stuck with it as long as that guy did, and when he could have put his head down and he never did, <laughs> he ended up redshirting last year. I didn't even you, – you, you told me that. I mean, yeah. he qualified for a redshirt last year very late in his career. And, and to come through at this point, I think it was really good to see. So, yeah, I, I'm, he's a guy that I'm rooting for. And if he plays another year here, great. If not, I hope he does well. I hope he gets an opportunity at the next level. I don't know if he projects it to that level, but I'll be rooting for him if and when he, 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 he attempts to do that. Also, with his, yeah. also with his leg strength, I don't think it, it helped him either where the special teams coordinator told everyone the line of demarcation <laughs> where his, right. his numbers started to go down and they had to go to the other guy. Yeah, um, and, and so Pinnaker aside, going back to these younger players one more time, we've discussed them so much, um, and, and they're going to carry the story, but there, there's some fascinating intrigue with guys like Jake Pinnaker. He falls into the category with Bryce Effner, Juice Scruggs, Nick Tarburton, all these guys have dealt with adversity. They've come out the other side to be really important players for Penn State. I think you can argue maybe undervalued players for Penn State at this point in their career. They're all in year five. They were part of that 2018 class that has gone in so many different directions. But they all can come back next year because of that COVID eligibility. Again, there's more names to that. But Jake Pinniger, Bryce Effner, who plays, who's been playing really well for them, especially this past week. Juice Scruggs, who has barely left the field as your starting center. And Nick Tarburton, who has started every game for you at defensive end played a bunch of snaps so uh, something to keep in mind here as we enter the final stretch it's it's just about the time where we're going to start throwing those questions towards athletes hey have you given some thought to what you want to do 
99% of the time we're going to hear we're focused on 1-0. We're focused on trying to just have a great practice this afternoon. But we're getting toward that point in the year with some of these older guys. And uh, to, to their credit, a lot of them are at a good spot in their career uh, as they reach this decision. Uh, Daniel, I wanted to, before we finish up this episode, go back to the, to the basketball court because it feels like a really big week shape, shaping up for Penn State. Non-conference play continues beginning Monday night uh, in a matchup here in Bryce Jordan Center. Penn State is going to play four games in the next seven days. Uh, they're going to face Butler tonight in the Gavit tip-off games uh, where they, they get a program out of the Big East. Uh, and then they're head, headed down to uh, Charleston, South Carolina later this week, which I'm sure will be a, a nice little weather change of pace from, from Happy Valley. Um, but they'll have three games in four days there, uh, starting with Furman, which is a pretty pesky mid-major um, on Thursday morning. I think that's an 11.30 a.m. tip. Um, and then from there, they could potentially play Virginia Tech. Uh, and then the other side of the bracket has uh, South Carolina, has Colorado State, uh, which was a tourney team last year. Davidson is in there. Uh, and I'm forgetting the fourth on the other side. But it's a good chance for, for Penn State to really showcase themselves um, uh, on a national stage. Tonight's game is going to be on FS1. Um, it's going to be their first nationally televised game of the year. Uh, after starting it on BTN Plus, which is about the opposite of being nationally <laughs> televised. Yeah. So it, it's a really big opportunity because they're playing some really fun uh, and exciting basketball, which the players themselves have acknowledged. Like they know what this looks like. I think the coaching staff knows what it looks like to the outside, uh, especially after how they played last year. Uh, and they're really giving themselves something to build on uh, and, and really, you know, something that people want to watch, something that that people want to look at. I mean, we talked about the stars in game one, Andrew Funk and Jalen Pickett combining for 45 points uh, was, I think they combined for, you know, eight was it eight points. Yeah. On three of 13 shooting um, against Loyola, you had guys like Cameron winter stepping up. Miles um, dread continues to be good off the bench. Uh, it's just a really, really balanced team. That's fun to watch. It can do a lot of different things. We're still trying to learn a lot about it. I think Mark can speak to what Kevajai looked like a little bit more uh, against Loyola. Um, but that's kind of the, the big question mark. But that's kind of what non-conference play is for. Penn State doesn't necessarily have the strongest non-conference slate, but it's one where they can make some, make some things happen, get some wins that might age pretty well when it comes time to look at the resume. And they can just work, you know, work these young guys in, get this five-man freshman class experience, get these graduate transfers in there, get them experience. Uh, and, you know, potentially make some noise when Big Ten play rolls around. Mark, you already told our listeners last week that when they get a chance to find Penn State basketball on a screen to tune in to see and Jai and what he can maybe do as, as an early force. And you spoke a lot about the early positivity when we were reviewing the first couple games toward the tail end of last week on this podcast. So I'm going to set you up with this one instead, Mark. What are your biggest uh, concerns that Penn State can perhaps alleviate here over these next few games? Uh, there's one that I don't know that they can alleviate is the, is, is depth at, at the five spot. I mean, they're starting Caleb Dorsey, you know, who is a, works really hard and a tough player, but you know, I, I, I think he may have trouble matching up with the, the bigger players from, from Michigan and Purdue. I think that, that there, there may be a challenge there. And, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think you really have Keb Jai and then you have Demetrius, um, Lil, what's his last name, Daniel? I'm, Lily. Uh, yeah, Lily. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, Meech, everybody's calling him, but he looks like he's, he, he, I think he was banged up a little bit and I think they're bringing him along real slowly. 
he's a big kid. I mean, 6'9", 6'10", and like 260. Uh, but I don't know that he's prepared to play at this level just yet. I think it, they may have to ease him in a little bit. So it's going to be imperative. And I, and I actually, you know, I thought they might start Keba. Uh, they, they, from what I understand, they, they started him in one of the uh, secret scrimmages uh, that they had, and he looked a little bit lost out there. So they decided to, to bring him off the bench. Uh, but he's 6'10", he's 240, he's athletic, he is ridiculously skilled. I mean, for, for, for he, he made a play uh, against Loyola that I don't think a lot of NBA players, big men, could make, where he got the ball on one block and he turned and fired to the opposite wing to Dalian Johnson for a three-pointer. It's like... Wow. I mean, to have that court awareness uh, is just amazing. Uh, he, he has a really nice touch around the basket. I think he's six of eight. He's hit uh, all but one or two of his free throws. He's leading the team in rebounding, even though he's only played 26 total minutes. Uh, he can shoot the three. He hasn't done it yet, but he can do it. But foul trouble. So he got into, he got into foul trouble in the opener, and then he got into foul trouble in the first half. Uh, against Loyola but then in the second half he came in settled down a little bit and was able to stay out of foul trouble so I actually like that they're starting Dorsey because it's allowing this kid to come in and, and kind of ease his way in well not ease his way in but not being dependent on right off the jump so he's able to come in and do what he does and, and as you watch him watch for the little skill things that I'm talking about his athletic ability is great his size is terrific. He has really big legs for a kid his size. And I think as his upper body builds out, that's where people are looking at him as being an NBA prospect. But his skill, his feel for the game, his ability to pass, they work him off the high post a lot. Very comfortable out there with the ball, where he's getting the ball, setting screens, firing it around. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about him, as you could tell. Uh, they have some other really tell. good new players. <laughs> I mean, Funk is legit. They used him more as a decoy against Loyola, but he's got a quick release. Cameron Winter has been a really nice addition. Uh, he looked a little shaky in the first game, but found his footing in the, in the most recent game. And I just think overall uh, they have a real nice uh, group of players, but that depth in the front court. And I don't know that it's necessarily going to show itself until we get into the Big Ten. Uh, the game in the game tonight. We're taping this Monday. Uh, they have a big kid from who transferred from North Carolina State, who I think is six ten, six eleven, and two sixty. But I think he's really, I think he's their one really big guy, and you could kind of deal with that. But when you're dealing with a bunch of these guys against some of these Big Ten programs, that's going to be an issue. Penn State basketball back in action on Monday night against Butler. Full coverage at lines247.com. Um, really enjoyed the basketball coverage from you guys so far this season. Uh, two wins in two games and one vote in the AP Top 25 poll. So got to start somewhere, and that's and that's where you are right now if you're the Nittany Lions when it comes to national rankings. Uh, we'll be back with another episode Tuesday coming to you after James Franklin's press conference. By then, we'll have spoken with some Nittany Lions players as well as game week number 11 gets underway. Rutgers on the map on Saturday. 
Saturday. Uh, we'll talk about that matchup a little bit more later in the week as well, get some perspective on the Scarlet Knights. Recruiting, a lot going on coming out of the weekend, both in basketball and football. Tyler Calvaruzzo has you covered with a bunch up at lines247.com, our VIP subscribers. Already in the know on how things are trending. Some 2023 movement to monitor here as we get a little bit closer toward early signing day. Uh, for Daniel and Mark and everyone at the Lions 24-7 team, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24-7 podcast.